Okay, so we are in week two of our series, Controlled Burn. And last week, we, we learned that God uses fire to purify and to declutter our lives uh, in order that we may grow and mature uh, in our faith. We discovered that like a refiner, God increases the heat in our lives to test our faith and to prepare us for the greater works that he has for us. Like a forestry professional, God uses controlled burns to skillfully remove the impurities and the sin that's in our lives that, that often inhibits uh, our growth. And this week, I want you to see that sometimes God even uses fire to uh, point us in the direction that he wants us to go. Fire not only provides heat, it also provides light, and it illuminates. And uh, so we're going to, in our study today, uh, journey back to the book of Exodus and, and see how God used fire at a pivotal point in the children of Israel's life and how he used this while they were suffering as slaves uh, and, and, and he led them by fire uh, to flee uh, uh, through the Exodus. So Exodus chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 17. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the fire of, cloud, uh, fire of night left its place in front of the people. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, open our eyes to the truth you'd have us to see here in this passage. Uh, God, may you add your blessing to the reading of your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. That's 153 years longer than America has even been a country. They were enslaved. They were mistreated. It was a terrible existence. And now God had led them out of slavery. And he led them uh, supernaturally by this cloud by the day and a fire at night. But if you'll notice, it says here in the passage that God didn't lead them on the shortest or the most direct route. The shortest route would have taken them through the land of the Philistines. But God knew that it was best not to take them that way. He knew, he knew a better route for them. But the children of Israel didn't know why they were going the long route instead of the shortcut. But all along, God knew what he was doing. God knew that they weren't ready for battle. God knew that they'd spent 400 years making bricks and being slaves and, and that they were, they were no match for the Philistines, that they weren't warriors. In fact, he knew that they would probably turn around and run uh, if, the, if he let them go through the land of the Philistines. So God took them on the long path, the long journey. And I don't know about you, but it seems there are a lot of times in my life where God has put me on the long path instead of the short path, right? Anybody, anybody relate to that? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, are you kidding me? Uh, uh, here's what I know and I've learned over the years that God is more interested in our growth on the journey than he is 
the arrival time at our destination. We are destination driven, right? Just get me there. A to B, what's the fastest route between A and B? That is not God's philosophy. God is looking at how, how are we growing, maturing, developing uh, on the journey. And so a lot of times he will, he'll put us on the slow path. Now they didn't know why God was taking them on this path. We don't know why God puts us on the path that we're on, but we know this, that God knows things that we don't know, Right? God knew things that they didn't know. God knows things that you and I don't know. And God's ways are always what's best for us. Sometimes we'll look at a situation and we think we know the way that we should go. But then God clearly leads us in a different, different way or he closes doors that kind of force us to go a, a, a different direction. And sometimes the path that God leads us on takes us into the wilderness we're like, well, what am I doing in the wilderness? Or how did I get here? How did I get to this place where I, you know, it, it just doesn't seem like I can, no matter which direction I go, it's a dead end and, and I'm not making any progress. Sometimes he takes us to a dead end. Sometimes it's a wilderness. He led the children of Israel to the banks of the Red Sea. And can you just imagine what they were thinking when, you know, they didn't go through the land of the Philistines, they went this other route, and they get there, and as you know, the, you know, Pharaoh changed his mind, and he's chasing after him, and they get to the Red Sea, and they're like, now what? They're looking here, they're like, we can't swim that. We don't have enough, we don't have, we don't have boats to get these people across. This is far too big for us to build a bridge. What, what are we going to do? What was God thinking bringing us this way? And this is when we have to go back to the fact that God knows things that we don't know. And we just have to trust that he has a plan. The children of Israel thought that when Pharaoh said, fine, you can go, children of Israel thought that he was going to let them go, right? They were convinced that, hey, he was, he was, he, he'd let me go. He'd let us go. We're good. But God knew that Pharaoh was going to change his mind and come after them. God knew that they wouldn't be able to fight the Philistines. God knew that Pharaoh was going to change his mind. So God directed them to a place where they needed to go, even though it wasn't where they wanted to go. But he was, he was already working a plan to secure their freedom. They had limited knowledge but they served a God with complete knowledge. And that is true for us today. And we need to remember that. When we find ourselves on the long path, when we find ourselves at the dead end, when we find ourselves at the place where we're like, well, now, now what? Know the fact that, that many times God leads us and it's because he knows things that we just don't know and we have to trust him. Solomon understood this. He wrote in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but, it end, but its end is the way of death. The best thing we can do is trust God and follow him even when the journey we're on doesn't make sense. And listen, I've been there. I've been on the long journey that doesn't make sense. I've been to the dead ends. Uh, I've, I've been to the place where like, okay, Lord, well, I, don't, I don't know what good could possibly come of this. I have been there, so I understand that. Uh, 
But we just, we just need to trust God and follow his leading. Some of you may be thinking, well, you know what? I, I would follow God's leading if I knew God was speaking. Have any of you ever said, you know, I wish God would lead me by a fire so I could just look up, see the fire, know that that's where God was leading me to go, right? I've heard people say that many times. If it, if, if, I'd follow God if he'd just make it as easy as he did it for, for them. Do you know why God led the children of Israel by fire? Because they didn't have the word of God. They didn't have this book right here available to them. So God had to lead them by fire and in other ways. They didn't have the luxury of reading God's word to know God's heart. They didn't have the privilege that we have of knowing what God wants us to do, why God wants us to do it, how God wants us to do it, and where God wants us to do it. But we have that. It's in the word of God. We know what God wants us to do, right? All you got to do is read the word of God, right? It'll tell us how to live, what to do, what not to do. We know his, we, we, we know his mission for us, right? He knows, we, we know that we're to love God, love others, that we're to, you know, that we're to fulfill the great commission, we're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We, we know that. We have the word of God, and we know what we're to do. We know all about love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and compassion and faith and generosity and hope. How do we know all of those things? Because God has told us in his word. God's word answers the most pressing questions in our life. And I think we take for granted the privilege we have of holding God's word in our hands. The children of Israel would have loved to have had a Bible in their hands so they would knew, knew exactly what God was doing and why God was doing it and where God was leading them. They'd love to have it in written form, but they didn't. So God gave them a fire to direct them. But God has given us his word to direct us. His word is the light that leads us. David put it like this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the people, uh, you know, the people began to get God's word. And so they didn't have to rely as much on these external signs. But I can tell you this, God's word in our hands is far better than a fire in the sky. You need to read, study, and trust God's word. It's going to give more clarity and more depth than any fire in the sky would ever give. The Word of God is a divinely inspired collection of books that records everything that God wants you to know about him. Everything God wants you to know about him, he's given it in his word so that we can know him. We can know his plans. We can know his will. From the time of Moses through the last days of the apostles' lives, God supernaturally led the authors of the Old and the New Testament to record exactly what God wants us to know. And over the years, he's progressively added more details of the context until we, we finally have the, the, the canon of Scripture is closed. That word canon is a measuring tool that determines whether something qualifies to be included in the Word of God. And the canon is closed. We have the 66 books of the Bible. The Apostle John tells us in John 1, 14, 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We have the, the, the revelation of the word of God and we have the special revelation of the person of God in the form of Jesus Christ. He came in full humanity and full divinity to help us more fully understand everything that God wants us to know about him. Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He was the truth. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Because Jesus is the word, because Jesus is the truth, we can trust what he says. God gave us his word in human form in Jesus. And God gave us his word in written form through the word of God. And both can be fully trusted to accurately communicate the very heart of God. You can trust Jesus and you can trust the word of God. Jesus was a storyteller. He didn't tell stories to entertain. He told stories in parables as a way to communicate the truth so that people could understand he was a master communicator. He understood his audience. He knew their thoughts. He spoke to their most pressing needs. He told them what they needed to hear, not just what they wanted to hear. He used illustrations and word pictures and object lessons. Why? Because Jesus had a message of life or death importance. It was that important. What is that message? That believing in Jesus, it's the only way for us to go to heaven, to be reconciled with God, to spend eternity with God. The only way for our sins to be forgiven is through the work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Jesus didn't mention works, denominational labels, religions, affiliations, traditions, sacraments, five pillars, three steps, or anything, any other method. He said, we simply believe, we put our faith, we put our trust in Jesus. And we have the written word of God that tells us this. It's readily available to each and every one of us so that you and I can know exactly what God wants us to do. Now, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 1.1, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. So God spoke to us by his son. God revealed to us everything he wants to know, wants us to know through his written word. And we have it in the word of God. At Venture, we, we have a doctrinal statement. I just want you to read our two paragraphs. This, this is what we believe about the word of God at Venture. It says this, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principle by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. 
All scripture is a testimony to Christ who is himself the focus of divine revelation. That's why we not only believe it, but why we teach the word of God. I don't get up here and tell you stories. I don't get up here and read you Psychology Today magazine. I don't get up here and read one little verse and then and spend 30 minutes you know, getting you to laugh and tell stories. Because I believe the word of God is what changes lives and what we need to hear is the word of God. It's not my job to write the mail. It's my job to deliver the mail. I'm like the postman. You know, I'm, it's my job just to deliver it. You know? And so we need to study it and we need to know it. Some, sometimes people say, well, yeah, but how can the Bible be God's word if it was written by human man? Well, let me give you a couple of verses to understand this. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So 2 Timothy makes the claim for inspiration, and 2 Peter explains the process. It says in 2 Peter 1.20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but this, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we see that God directed human authors to record his word. And so the word of God was protected from human error in its original record by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God, God inspired them to write the words they wrote. He, that word inspired means God breathed it out into the human authors who wrote what God wanted them. God used the human authors' minds and their vocabularies and their personal experiences to produce his own infallible and inerrant word. So the message of the Bible came from God, through men, and in the process became the word of God. The Bible was not dictated by God to secretaries. The final product, though, is as infallible and inerrant as though it were dictated. Inspiration doesn't mean that God just approved their writings. It means that the men actually wrote his words. His ideas became their ideas and they accurately recorded what he wanted us to know about him. Sometimes people will say, yeah, but how do we know that the Bible that we have in our hands hasn't changed or, you know, in, the, in, the, in the centuries since it's been translated? And uh, you know, that's a good, it's a good question. A lot of people ask that question. So I want to I want to use an, an illustration to help you understand that. So let's suppose this morning that I received a letter from the President of the United States that was written uh, and it was sent to me here and, and, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. And, uh, and I wanted to make sure that we, we got it right and so I instructed each one of you to pull out a piece of paper, pull out a pen, and as I read you the letter, I want you to write down what I say. And so word by word, line by line, I read you the letter and every single person in this room writes down what the president said to us. And you've got your copy and I've got my copy. Now suppose that the original letter, the one that I have, let's say that somehow I ended up losing this thing. You know, I don't know why I would do it, but let's just say it accidentally got thrown away somehow and now I don't have a copy of the original what could I do? 
I could ask any one of you for the copy that you'd written of the letter that I'd read, right? And you could give it to me. You say, ah, yes, but what if I spelled a word wrong or what if I missed a word? Ah, well, that's, that's, that's a good point. So what I could do instead is I could say, I need all of you to turn in your letters and give me all of the letters and then I could take all the letters, 300 letters, and I could bring them back and I could just, I could go through and I could take all 300 of those letters and how many of you think I could 99% accurately recreate the original letter that way, right? Okay. That is how we have the Bible today. There are over 5,000 manuscripts dating back to the time of Christ that have been compared and scrutinized to assure us that the word of God that we have today is indeed God's word. That's how we know. As further evidence of God's divine origin, we could point to the fact that it is historically accurate. You know, it, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, there's no questionable find of archaeology that proves the Bible wrong in any way, shape, or form. We have fulfilled prophecy as another reason. Every prophecy that the Bible has prophesied has come true or will come true. I'll be talking more in December in our series on prophecy uh, in the end times uh, of the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, so make sure that you're here for that. But every one, the, the Bible pro- it came out just the way it said it would. Jesus gave credibility to the Old Testament. He quoted it. He taught it. He believed that it was the word of the Lord. Why am I sharing this with you today? Because I want you to know that you can trust the word of God. You can believe the Bible. You can trust God's word. And you can know that it is far better than a fire in the sky. As handy as that was for the children of Israel, what we have today in the word of God is far, far better. When God gives you a promise in the word of God, you can take it to the bank. Don't doubt his word. Don't listen to its critics. Don't question its authority. It's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your way. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ left his throne of glory to be born in a lowly manger. The creator of light came into the darkness. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Sadly, the darkness has not understood. The darkness comprehended it not. And we see a lot of darkness in the world today. A lot of darkness. A lot of evil. Evil that many of us never thought we would see in our lifetime, and we're seeing it. Many people in the world are struggling to take God at his word. Many people today are doubting God, doubting his word. Many critics have gotten into the heads of our young people and confuse them, confuse them about who God is, confuse them about the word of God. And now we're seeing just all kinds of rampant evil. You know, Moses faced this when the children of Israel got to the banks of the Red Sea. Even though they had personally seen God do miraculous events through the plagues, remember? Remember all the plagues and the last one being the Passover? They had seen all this. They'd seen the cloud by day and the fire by night, and yet still 
they questioned. Let's go back to our opening text, Exodus 14, 11. Here they are, now they're at the banks of the Red Sea. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. This after they had already seen the miracles that God had done, the fire, the cloud, the, you know, all of the plagues. The amazing things that God had done for them. And yet here they are questioning God. But don't we do the same thing today? Even though we have God's written word, don't we still question God and wonder if he really meant what he said? Exodus 14, verse 19. Let's finish, see how the story ends. Then the angel of the Lord who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of the chariot so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptian says, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea to the waters, that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing forward, or fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So once again, God delivers his people and shows himself faithful on their behalf. I wonder this morning, are you trusting God's word today? Are you walking by faith and believing that God is going to do what he said he would do in his word? Maybe you're at the banks of your own Red Sea. Maybe you're facing a health crisis. You're like, seriously, God, you bring me all the way here and, and now this? Maybe you're in a marriage that's gone sour or a, maybe your business is facing a major challenge and you just, you just don't know how you're going to make it out of this. Maybe you've got into some kind of a financial nightmare and, and you, you, you're just beside yourself. Maybe you're facing a major decision 
and the consequences are going to be big. Friends, here's what I've learned. If you know God, you know you can trust him and you can trust his word. He's given you his word. Trust him. Believe him. Read the word of God. Study the word of God. Know the word of God. Memorize the word of God. My friends, it is far better than a fire in the nighttime sky. You have the word of God to direct you. Do you read it? Do you study it? Do you know it? Are you letting the word of God guide your life? Folks, that's my encouragement to you today. Let God's word be the light that guides your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and God, so often we marvel at the miraculous things that you've done. God, we see how you worked on behalf of the Israelites, how you led them, protected them, provided for them, performed miracles for them, how you defeated their enemies. God, I pray that you'd help us to see the fact that you're the same God that wants to answer our prayers, that hears our cries, that sees our works and our lives, what we do and what we don't do. God, there may be some here today that are on their own wilderness journey. Maybe they're at the banks of their own Red Sea and they're questioning and crying out to you. And so God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. Show them, God, through your word what you'd have them to do, how you'd have them to do it. Open their eyes and let them, let them see, God, just what it is you want them to do and who you want them to be. Father, we read this story and once again the children of Israel are being chased, being attacked, armies coming against them. And Father, here we are in 2023 and Israel is under attack and the armies are surrounding them, trying to eliminate them from the face of the earth. And God, we know in your word that Israel plays a significant role in the future. God, your word tells us that we're to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and God, we do. As we see the horrors unfolding before our eyes, God, we do pray. We do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray that you would give all of the leaders of the various countries, God, wisdom to know what to do, how to do it. Father, we pray for those who this day are facing war, suffering because of lost loved ones, suffering because loved ones are about to enter into and engage in what will likely be a very bloody war. God, be, be with them. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us to do what you've called us to do. Even in the midst of this evil and darkness, God, may we shine brightly. May we bring light into the midst of the darkness. May we be voices of reason and hope. 
even in the hatred we see in our own streets, in our own communities. God, may we stand for that which is right and true. God, may your church arise at this time. Use us, God, to accomplish your will. We look forward to your return. But until that day, God, may we be faithful to do what you've called us to do and may we respond to the light you've given us. Thank you, God, for your word. Father, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.